News from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings, and your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're going to be looking at the tourism boom across the Greater Bay Area. According to data from online travel firm Trip, tours from Hong Kong to Shenzhen have more, more than doubled over the past year, following the lifting of almost all COVID-related restrictions. That's causing problems for Hong Kong businesses as locals flood across the border at weekends in search of cheaper prices, as well as an increasing range of upmarket leisure facilities. But Hong Kong and Macau expect to see their own tourism boom shortly as the National Day Golden Week holiday early next month triggers record visitor numbers to the two SARs. Later in the program, we're going to be looking at lift safety after a dog was strangled by being caught in the lift doors at a Kennedy Town apartment block. Let us know what you think about both topics. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call. The number there, 233 88266. Our guests uh, for the main segment of discussion this morning, we have joining us here in the studio, Professor Whitman Hung. Professor Hung is the uh, director of the uh, Greater Bay Area Research Center of China Silk Road I Valley Research Institute. And also joining us on the line, we have Jose Carlos Matias, who's a uh, director at Macau Business and Macau News Agency and CEO of Publisher Project Asia Corp, and also Professor Glenn McCartney. Professor McCartney is Associate Professor in Integrated Resort and Tourism Management and the Associate Dean at the Faculty of Business Administration at the University of Macau. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Backchat. Um, uh, pr- um, Professor Hung, uh, welcome to Backchat. Let's, let's start with you first. Yes. Um, uh, these, these figures are uh, just released by C- uh, C-Trip, of course, very popular, isn't it, for booking um, uh, any sort of travel in China, saying there's a uh, 247% increase in um, uh, visit, uh, visit Hong Kong tour groups going to Shenzhen since a year earlier. Of course, a year earlier, there were a lot of COVID restrictions. But nonetheless, we all know, I mean, just talking to friends, that uh, people are flooding across the border at the weekends, aren't they? Yeah, uh, well, I was there three times, uh, three dinners in Shenzhen last week <laughs> myself. I think um, one of the issues... Uh, not to mention the difference on pricing and availability of choices and, th- and service level. Just one thing, for Hong Kong people to travel across the border is click. For them to come over, they need a visa. As simple as that. That's one of the reasons. No, I didn't go there because of the food. It was better because I, was, I need to meet some people. And for them to come over, it's a clumsy thing. So they say, why don't you come over? And then we have dinner in Shenzhen instead. So... I mean, just just one one of these things about these people traveling within the Greater Bay Area, there is still restriction for them to come to Hong Kong. Now, is that from from the mainland side or from the Hong Kong side, or just, just I wonder, history? I wonder. It was history. Nobody was paying attention. Remember, we used to have like Shenzhen people that can come here um, every day, and then it changed to once per week. Right? That was uh, during. That was pre pre COVID. Well, it was very unpopular in Hong Kong at that stage, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah it was Tsui Leung's time. I remember they changed, and and it it did actually oh, hurt the locusts or whatever they were calling. Yeah, they were. It, it, I remember the mayor then of uh, Shenzhen, uh, Xu Qing, was saying, "Oh, it really hurts us because you know, in the mine, and you know, we were friends, and all of a sudden he said, you know, you can only come here once a week.'" Go- going going back to your f- very first point, you've been there three times last week. I've been there twice in the last uh, month or so, uh, just for dinner. Yeah. It's so easy. Um, exactly. Exactly. As you said, I, of course, I, I 
cheat a little bit because being a Chinese national, I, I just get in on my home return permit. I don't, don't need a visa. Exactly. And so it's so easy to get in. Uh, there's still, can we get rid of that health declaration? I hate that. The, the black <laughs> the black coat thing, you know, yeah. it's a bit, it doesn't hurt that much. But still, if you cross the border, sometimes you have to queue through that little machine that yep. it, the QR code. Got to have the QR code, otherwise you can't get out of uh, It's, um, you know, for me, like traveling from Central, nowadays, to, to, first of all, you have the, obviously the high-speed train, which is 15 minutes, but then... Uh, that one is also not very convenient because you have to arrive like 40 minutes beforehand. But if you take the old train... Israel. From Israel, exactly. You and I both work in Admiralty, right? Yeah. So we just took the train. It's an hour to cross the border, or 55 minutes to be exact. And once you cross the border, you take a taxi. Usually it was like 10 minutes, you know, yep. from where I want to go. So uh, let's not talk about that. I think, I think the thing is, it's... We in Hong Kong, we need to well, if we really want more tourists, especially the spending tourists, we need to welcome them. We need to change the mentality, um, make it easier. Um, of course, we have a high cost level. There's something that wouldn't change overnight. Um, but we can, you know, we need to also provide services and, you know, uh, service and food, of course, but, uh, and entertainment that matches that kind of price level. And that, unfortunately, is not something we have right now. You think that uh, price levels in the two sides of the border are going to converge? I mean, they're going to go down in... Um... No, I, I don't think... I, I think price for... It will be a disaster. Because that's why Hong Kong people are going to Shenzhen, right? Because it's cheaper. Uh, I mean, it, yeah. I mean yeah, maybe it's, it's exotic and so on. But in the end, you talk to people, they're saying, well, because we can do the same things as, as in Hong Kong, but much more cheaply. Exactly. Um, but, you know, as a Hong Kong person, I don't think uh, we want Hong Kong price to go down significantly, but that will mean, you know, a decrease in income for those uh, service, service people. There's a lot of things. So, I mean, if you think about it, um, let's say if you, the price in New York and Jersey, it's a huge difference, right? So, but there's something in New York that sustains that kind of pricing. Okay, in Hong Kong, we used to have that. We used to have that. I think you've put your finger on it. Um, we actually discussed the topic of making Hong Kong more attractive in this program a couple of weeks ago. And the the industry was weeping. We had a, a lady representing the bars. We had a, a guy representing the restaurants. And they were, oh, business is down. Government should have vouchers. People have stopped eating out at night. And I asked them, you know, what are you doing to make dining out in the evening, a better attractive experience. again, a That's better right. experience. What are you coming up? What ideas have you got? And, you know, don't just put, look to the government to come up with vouchers all the time. Okay, we're, <clears throat> we're discussing the uh, tourism boom in the Greater Bay Area, and the tourism boom is actually in the opposite direction. People <laughs> right. going across the border into um, um, into Shenzhen, and far fewer coming to Hong Kong. Of course, a lot of people going to Macau as well. We'll get to that later. You uh, you just heard uh, Professor Whitman Hung. If you have any thoughts on this topic, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. You can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Uh, before we go to our other guests, I'm just bringing in a comment from uh, Marcus on our Facebook page. Uh, Marcus said, uh, Hong Kong Airport looked like a ghost town again tonight, uh, presumably last night. The in-town check-in closed at 3 o'clock again, and O'Leary's shut by 10 o'clock. Nobody's coming here for anything more than VFR. Uh, thank you very much, um, uh, <laughs> uh, Marcus. Uh, let, let's, now, let's bring in um, Professor Glenn McCartney, Professor Glenn McCartney of the University of Macau. Good morning, Professor McCartney. 
Good morning, Danny. How are you doing? Um, now, people are travelling all... I mean, you, you've presumably seen this in Macau for a long time, people flooding across the border. People are travelling all, all over the Greater Bay Area. But um, how do you look from the Macau perspective of our problems here in Hong Kong, that um, we're not getting enough visitors while people are he- heading to Shenzhen instead? I think, I mean, I, the, the points you've talked about are very relevant for the Hong Kong situation and for Macau too. I mean, we, we also scratch our heads and say how do we get people to stay longer and spend more and give reasons for people to come to our destination. So, I mean, we have the integrated resorts, we have the casinos, the events industry, the entertainment industry. So we're given you know, all the food and beverage offerings, retail. So you really have to do a whole product mix and determine you know, which segments you're going for. So there's really a lot of thought process done by the six big casino operators, for example. So I think there's uh, the things you face in Hong Kong is, for example, give reasons for people to come stay longer and spend more. And the issue of price point, I understand, because, you know, we look for... And I, I also agree that there's always going to be a segment of people who are going to spend this amount. But I don't think sometimes price reduction is necessarily the thing because... If, you know, people want to have a certain type of experience, we've done, you know, research in this, and they're willing to pay more in order to have a certain experience, but you have to deliver on that. So our research shows, you know, these Chinese consumers coming over, they're willing to spend, but there has to be that, that experience. So I, I understand the Hong Kong, the challenges you face, because Makaya also, any destination around the world faces these challenges of, you know, how people perceive your perceive your destination and expectations when they get there and also the experience that they have and is it worth the money, etc. So not, not not uncommon, but something Macau has faced. But Macau has seen the rewards the last six, seven months, as you can see by the numbers coming over. Right. Because even before COVID-19 reopening, we were we were we didn't really Macau had a travel corridor with China for two and a half years. So we didn't stop per se. And we had a lot more openings like the Londoner and etc. came on board during the COVID-19 restrictions. So they were constantly you know, rejuvenating the product. So when we really opened, there was that those offerings in place. Right. Yeah, it's just to mention on the figures, it's, 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 Macau welcomed something like 15 million tourists in the first half of this year, didn't it? Yes. Again, what sort of thing do you think Hong Kong could be doing to rejuvenate your, the product? I like mm-hmm. that term a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's rather academic, but it's not. I mean, I've been to Hong Kong a few times just in the last few months as well. So I walk around the, the central district, and I, you know, I, I enjoy my time, and I also have my tourism hat around too, and I do my tourism audit, thinking how can everywhere I go, I'm a terrible traveler because people say you're always doing a tourism audit, you know. But you, 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 I, I, you know, you have a lot of products and issues of you know making it easier for people to get around signages. Um, uh, you know, Maca- Hong Kong still is buzzing. I mean, be, be, you know, I, I really enjoy my time in Hong Kong. And every time I go there several times a month, it's really, you know, it's buzzing. There's a lot of reasons to go. Um, you know, some cultural sites, you have new products. I think it's also communicating the message more sometimes as well. Yes. Getting the message out, what you have. Um, um, not always focusing on price. One, prices, right. You know, well, it's become an interesting point, as you've seen. The, the, I mean, and there's the broader implications in tourism industry around the world, aren't there, about not competing on price, right? You, you, no, you, no. you want to go for, I mean, uh, I think go for the experience. Bhutan is the yes, ultimate absolutely. example, People isn't it? Right? Yeah. People are willing to pay that. People are willing to pay as I was in Hong Kong too. You could, because, you know, you have a lot of, and people are willing to pay that and should be paying that, for example, you know, for some of the cultural experiences and, and, and so forth, right? One of the things the industry was complaining about when we were talking a few weeks ago 
was people stopped dining out at night, they said. I mean, um, they're not uh, partly COVID. It's a hangover from COVID. They just got out of the habit. Yeah, um, there's certainly truth in that. There's certainly yeah, truth. Um, but how do you spark it again? People, are, people still eat at night. Right. Well, <laughs> the government is, you know, was uh, trying to push for this nightlife thing, right? This night market, they say they're going to launch this for mid-autumn festival and through yeah. to Golden Week, right? We must remember, of course, Golden Week is coming up and we do expect an influx of uh, visitors yeah. during Golden Week. Well, you know, I wouldn't pay too much hope on the Golden Week oh, thing. Because it's been around for a long time enough that, you know, people are just treating it normally and there's much much more to travel around within China than going to Hong Kong and, you know. So um, we have to face it uh, for a period of time, before COVID, before all these things. Um, Hong Kong was a popular visiting place because, um, you know, for mainland people, it's their first chance of getting out of the border. But that's gone. Okay, those people, they have experienced it. Uh, and, and if you look at the you know, the tourists, uh, mainland tourists, have, have now it's, uh, I say, resumed to about 60% of what it was before uh, COVID. But they're not spending as much as before. So they're not really shopping in the LVs. And they're doing different things. Exactly. They're going hiking. Yeah, the, problem is the, yes, the, the differentiators in Hong Kong, the really special experiences, are, are things that are very cheap, like hiking. Hiking. So, yeah. so, so they're now oh. enjoying the cultural thing. This is something we were, we have been promoting in fact. And eating Kong. hamburgers in McDonald Road. <laughs> the Chinese characters. That was a, that was more of just a, just a joke. But but you know, um it's something we encourage. We thought, okay, well, you know, five years ago we said how yeah, people are crowding Causeway Bay and Team Satchway. We wanted tourists to go to hiking. We want them to go to the cultural sites. The problem is when they're hiking they're not they're hardly spending any money, which is great for them but not so great for the Hong exactly, Kong economy. Exactly. And then because of the the easier travelling these days, they can stay in Shenzhen or Macau for that matter. Right? So uh our hotels are still expensive and not as special as what you experience in Macau. Okay, well, on Macau, let's bring in the uh, third of our guest, uh, uh, Jose uh, Carlos Matias uh, from uh, Macau Business uh, Macau News Agency. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Good morning, yeah. Danny, Mike, Glenn, and Whitman. My great pleasure. <laughs> so <laughs> Macau, Macau, Macau is booming right now. I mean, um, I'm looking at, we just mentioned 15 million in the first half of the year, or tourism's back, what, 70, 80, <clears throat> 80% of pre-pandemic levels, even say casino revenue is going to be up to 90% or something. Um, what lessons are there in the Macau boom for Hong Kong? Well, yeah, we are witnessing what we are witnessing in Macau is actually exceeds uh, the most bullish expectations that anyone would have had uh, in late uh, 2022, even in early 2023. I mean, the pent up demand that we had across the border and from Hong Kong was really there, and we're witnessing a, a sort of revival uh, that can be seen uh, from the figures. You well, we're talking about 2.7 million visitors in July alone. Seven 38% of pre-COVID levels. So, uh, yeah, this all goes well. And also, uh, you have this report um, from the China Tourism Academy regarding the first half of the year, uh, you know, positioning Macau by far as the top uh, outbound destination for mainland tourists. So, uh, it is, uh, it is really encouraging what we're witnessing, um, and it, it exceeds the best, uh, most optimistic expectations. Um, so I, 
Professor Glenn McCarthy was pointing something out I think is really relevant is that uh, during COVID we did have uh, uh, some properties uh, refurbishing their uh, offerings. Uh, the Londoner is something new, as you know, in these kind of destinations uh, uh, such as uh, uh, integrated resorts destinations like uh, Macau, Las Vegas, you need to have uh, on a very regular basis new properties uh, uh, coming to the market to entice visitors to make them feel uh, that right. they have something new. So this 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 is something that I, I think is really relevant. I can see that Hong Kong has also done uh, some of it, uh, but but you know when I when I when I, I I've been having the fortune of traveling to the Greater Bay Area during the pandemic, uh, a couple of times per year visited a number of uh, cities in in the GBA, uh, and what I witnessed is that during the pandemic you witness a constant urban renewal. You know, uh, in terms of infrastructure, you could see things moving forward. Uh, let's say I compare Shenzhen 20, 2019 with Shenzhen twenty. 23, I compared Dongguan pre and post uh, pandemic, uh, let alone Zhuhai and Guangzhou. And I think that is something that is really important because as uh, uh, you, you, the panel was pointing out, it's all about, uh, uh, you know, coming up with an experience, something that can add value other than just the pre-COVID or the old model in Hong Kong uh, for shopping or in Macau just for gambling. Right. And th this is good news. It, it, we have to level up the game. You know, the cities have to uh, excel uh, in terms of customer experience. Uh, this is a pivotal issue. At the end of COVID, uh, I think there was a, everywhere there was a desire for what some people called revenge travel. I've been locked up for three years. I'm going to go somewhere. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what it costs. Yeah. I don't care how hard it is. I'm getting out of here. And yeah. I think we've, uh, GBA generally, Macau in particular, have benefited more from this so far than we have. Um, what can we do better? Uh, Women who? Well, um, the, first of all, the, the so-called revenge only lasts like two months, I think. Uh, and, then, and then it was the other way around, people getting out from Hong Kong, going to Japan, you know. So uh, I think we need, to, uh, we need to really make ourselves more attractive. Um, Price-wise, we don't need to be lower, but we do need to stop it getting higher. It is very expensive, you know. Sometimes you, the, the money you spend per head in Central, you can easily host a table in Shenzhen with similar food, maybe not as well-decorated environment. And no Michelin stars, but the food actually tastes almost the same. So we need to do something about that. We need to also diversify as well. I mean, for a while, what we have is everything is the same. We, we, another issue we do face is the labor shortage. You know, it's, it's a chicken and egg situation right now because um, I've experienced some bad experience recently where I was dining at a Chinese, you know, Chinese restaurant in Hong Kong, and they shut off the air con at 10. I was not very welcoming, right? I was still, you know, <laughs> chatting over a drink after dinner, you know, and they say, well, we're closing. Okay, last order is 9 o'clock and aircon off at 10 because <laughs> they, they, the staff doesn't work, want to work that late, which is understandable. But the t situation is that you have less business, then it pays less, and then staff are less work, uh, willing to work longer hours. Okay, and also the younger generation they strike for this work-life balances, right? You know, my parents they work sixteen hours a day. Today they want six-hour days. Okay, and definitely not on Saturdays. So, so it's a different kind of mentality as well. But I think uh, there's nothing we can change it on on the mentality side. 
what we need to do really i mean there's this import labor thing right now um i'm not sure how far that will travel because first of all um they need to pay at the uh, medium um salary and need to provide accommodation which is really expensive what, are you optimistic about the, the return of the night market i can remember the night markets from because I'm yes, very old, from yes, 50 years ago. Yes, yes. Are they going to have any impact at all? There will be some impact, but... For eight, locals um, or for visitors? Both, both. both. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, unless you change it into like a long-lasting night market, like what happens in Taipei and becomes a tourist spot. Um, and secondly, the issue right now is we have a labor shortage as well. So if you don't, you know, if you do not increase the total number of tourists and also the total number of spending, what you, what's effectively what's going to happen is people are going to spend more on the night market than the normal restaurants. So, so, uh, but of course, I think what what the government proposing right now is really not about food and dine. It's really about culture and and you know uh, uh, performance and things like that. I think that will really stimulate people like to go out a bit more. I mean, if you go to Lang Kwai Fong today. Compared with where it was ten years ago, of course I'm getting older, so I'm not no longer going there. But, but still, it's very different kind of you know atmosphere, and I think that's something. Um, for a while in Hong Kong, it was all about excitement, excitement. Now we seems to be a bit more. I don't know. We we were afraid. Okay, we're discussing uh, tourism trends in the Greater Bay Area on the back of a uh, survey that showed a 247% increase in uh, Hong Kong tour groups going to Shenzhen. If you've got any thoughts, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page, uh, backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and comment there. Uh, let me just bring in some comments coming in from uh, listeners on our Facebook page. Uh, first of all, Ilna answers a question you were asking about the inconvenience of the health declaration when you go to uh, China. So Ilna says, starting from 30th of August, that's free zero. 30th of August, uh, basically uh, last week. Uh, Travellers bound for China are no longer required to undergo COVID-19 PCR test or antigen test. It's no longer necessary to declare the test result in the health declaration form. This uh, change greatly facilitated our trips to China, including Shenzhen, but of course you still need to fill in the form. You still need to fill in the form. Yes. Um, And a couple of comments from Henry about the attractiveness of uh, the Greater Bay Area compared to Hong Kong. Henry says, I think the Greater Bay Area offers better tourism attractions, better return for money and more choices. I found Hong Kong is too commercial and too costly. Many shops in Hong Kong could not offer wide choices of goods because the demand for some products is not sufficient in Hong Kong. An example is it's difficult to find accordion shops in Hong Kong, whereas it's easy in Shenzhen. Also, rent, the high property prices really kills. (coughs) Hong Kong has fallen behind with not much done during the past years in terms of tourism. Tourist attractions are usually the same ones, no change, whereas in the Greater Bay Area, they have many fresh, innovative and yet cheap attractions. Maybe Hong Kong people lack the horizons, the vision, the bold and willingness to try in this area. The pace of work in Hong Kong is slow and new attractions uh, just take too long. Um, Professor McCartney, uh, we're almost up to the news, but just uh, is Hong Kong being left behind? Well, I think to the point we just had some discussions there, like what uh, Jose mentioned there too, during the last few years and what I was talking to Macau, there has been urban renewals in the Greater Bay Area, you know, and the Macau too. We've constantly refreshed our attractions and rejuvenated and we thought about our market. When, you know, 2023 came along, we have new, 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 we've got younger travellers who have different desires, wishes when they travel. So being ready for that, for example, so Macau has been able to link quickly with that. So, yeah, I think there's been maybe some, some issues there, but how do you, when you reopen that, you have some you know, new attractions, refreshed attractions and so forth. 
But I think that the debate will go forward is, okay, now 2023 moving forward, what can we do? Yeah. Because this is all in the past. Glenn, we can talk about it, did we become we'll, too complacent? I think, right, I mean, that, the, you could say, you, you know, many tourist destinations say we're really good, we're top, we're, you know, and Hong Kong's a top tourism destination and a nice, you know, convention mm-hmm. tourism hub, you know, and airline and everything. So it has a lot of very good attractions. Like you, and I think to your point, uh, you know, when when you're there at the at the leader leadership position, you know, you have to say, how do you stay at the top, you know? Yes, and I think that you're 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 you got some level of you say fallout from the COVID nineteen as you trying to you know as you as you get back on uh, after the COVID nineteen and I can see listening to this conversation today, but I think going forward there's a lot of potential. Um, I and I just you know I, I'm listening to the nighttime economy. Okay, yes, um, uh, maybe. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Just just hold that that thought, um, Professor McCartney. We're going to continue the discussion about uh, tourism trends in the Greater Bay Area after the news. And um, do let us know your thoughts. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to the Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Uh, The weather forecast, uh, no typhoons, thank God, but it is mainly cloudy with occasional showers and a few thunderstorms. Uh, The maximum temperature is going to rise to uh, 30 degrees. Currently, the temperature is 28 degrees and relative humidity is 90%. It's 9.30 and here's Hayley with the news. An employee of Kowloon Motor Bus has died after being hit by a vehicle at its depot in Kowloon Bay. Police said the accident happened on a rooftop car park at the depot at about 7.30 a.m. The man suffered serious head and leg injuries and was unconscious when he was rushed to hospital. Police are investigating a suspected murder-suicide in Taipo in which a 61-year-old man plunged to his death from the flat where his knees had been stabbed to death. It's thought they've been arguing over money. The United States has announced another billion U.S. dollars worth of aid for Ukraine. It includes $175 million in military assistance. More air defense equipment has been promised along with anti-tank weapons and depleted uranium ammunition for U.S.-made Abram tanks. I'll have more news at 10. Mosquitoes transmit diseases like dengue fever, Japanese encephalitis, and Zika virus infection. To prevent mosquito bites, make sure you get protected. Remember to wear loose, light-colored, and long-sleeved tops and trousers. Follow instructions and reapply deep-containing insect repellent. Avoid staying in scrubby areas. If you feel unwell after traveling abroad, seek medical advice immediately and give the doctor your travel details. To know more, visit chp.gov.hk. I'm Wise Mike, the smoke-free ambassador. I have a vision that one day no one smokes anymore. Gone are the days of people smoking near rubbish bins and pedestrians in the streets exposed to second-hand smoke containing cancer-causing substances. We can make that vision happen. Call 1833-183 to quit smoking now. Let's move towards a tobacco-free Hong Kong. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Giddings. Your guest presenter this morning is uh, Mike Rouse. In the second half of the programme, we're going to continue our discussion about uh, tourism trends in the Greater Bay Area on the back of a survey that found a more than doubling in Hong Kong tour groups uh, to Shenzhen over the past year. Later on, we're going to be talking about that uh, terrible accident in Kennedy Town where a dog was strangled or being caught in the lift doors. Uh, our guests, uh, as we continue the discussion here in the studio, Professor Whitman Hung from uh, uh, China Silk R- uh, Road I Valley Research Institute. And on the line, we have 
have uh, uh, still on the line, we have Jose Carlos Matias from Macau Business, Macau News Agency, and Professor Glenn McCartney from uh, the University of Macau. If you've got any thoughts on either topic, do email us at backchat on rthk, or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and leave a comment there. Let me just bring in one further comment um, on our Facebook page when we go back to our guests. So, in a follow up message, uh, Henry says the changed taste of mainland visit visitors indicates that they upscale their taste towards broader aspects of life and are not just as greedy shoppers snapping big-ticket items in Sim Sa Chai or Central. Hong Kong needs to have a broader mind towards tourism. The night economy may not be the only answer. How about the Palace Museum and other museums staying open till 10 o'clock at night? Thank you very much, Henry. Glenn, uh, welcome back yes, to the... the you know, just before the, we broke for the news, we were talking about whether Hong Kong had become complacent. It seemed to me that some of the things, suggestions that are coming in on our Facebook page are, are fresh ideas. Why, why aren't these places open to, uh, to later? Um, sometimes that will help. Uh, also, those restrictions that were introduced, I think, basically to stop the chaotic shopping Shop in Shoeng Shui. Uh, or, or places further south because Shang Shui was full. Uh, should they be b- being re- 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 revoked now? Should we De- be going definitely, back? Definitely. I, I, I don't know why nobody is mentioning this. We kind of forgot and thought it was you know, too for granted. Yes. This is it. We take things for granted with complacent. Glenn? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, uh, in, in tourism, we, we're not always friendly with policies that are restrictive to us. You know, where it'd be accessibility, getting, you know, visas and so forth, because they restrict us in doing our business. So policy should always be in line with what's happening now in sync. That's for sure. So policies must always be upgraded because if there's a level of restriction because of something before in the past, obviously it's not relevant today. But I think there's many spokes to this wheel. Policy is one thing. And I'm just listening in here. You need to have investor confidence because you cannot rejuvenate, you know, a restaurant or a, a themed attraction without investors coming in and putting money in. And of course, if you're not getting money, you get this sort of like chicken and egg approach, right? So, right. you know, you have to have an ROI and stuff, these sort of things. But to the point about, I think one of the issues really now is there is a changing type of consumer coming from mainland China, the youth, and they want to have experience. And they will stay three or four days, but and sure they will go on a hikes and go on the mountains, and there's not there's no money in that. But it's called the you know the tourism journey. They they need to eat. They will extend that nighttime with, if if there's a level of I will eat out at nighttime. But it's not just a restaurant open at night. There has to be entertainment access. The transportation is working at that time. You have entertainment, so it's not just the eating. There has to be a whole, right. whole, a whole service scheme. It's a whole, so, whole environment. But the whole price. environment has to be created behind that. A nighttime economy is a, is a creation of much more things than just the restaurant open at night. So there has to be, uh, you know, there has to be, you know, all stakeholders involved to make that happen. And, right. and throughout the world, we've seen cities' nighttime economy flourishing. Um, we always look at Las Vegas, for example, as an example for because <laughs> we have integrated resorts to show you how nighttime can buzz, right? But every city can look towards their own model. One of the things that struck me uh, last week. I went by chance to a restaurant uh, which I wouldn't normally go to, um, and they innovated. They had a Wednesday night. They said it's steak night, so there was an excellent, <laughs> an excellent steak uh, with, with, the all the, with all the trimmings and a free glass of wine for mm-hmm. a package price that was actually cheaper than a steak normally would cost in the same restaurant. So you do something special, you do something different, 
and it creates a buzz. The restaurant was absolutely humming at 8 o'clock at night, whereas in the studio here a couple of weeks ago, people were saying, oh, nobody's dining out in the evening. Well, they were certainly dining out in that restaurant on that evening. Exactly. And so there are things that uh, even ordinary p places uh, can do to spark the product again. But there's other mm -hmm. things I think um, also worth mentioning is if you really our target is the mainland tourists and spending, there's a certain habits they now have that we cannot provide. For example, electronic payments. Okay, so people don't carry their yeah, wallets around. You see mainland. that? I mean, I've seen that sort of um, mainlanders queuing up for the Star Ferry, and they, they don't have octopus cards, and uh, it doesn't take and, uh, and doesn't to take Alipay. 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 The, the whole area gets totally another congested. thing. Another thing is trying to get a taxi. Okay, whereas in mainland you have it's not they don't have Uber, but they have like DD, but they also have like ten others. So when I'm in mainland, I just go to the map. I call a cab, whichever answer the first. Usually it's within four minutes I get a very low price ride to anywhere I want. Whereas in Hong Kong, you know, yeah. we both had that experience now. A D in the mainland, DD is a verb. <laughs> I'm, okay, going to, I'm so, going to DD that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you mentioned the, the, the stark contrast between Hong Kong and uh, the mainland in that respect. Convenience. Yeah, but um, mainland tourists are flooding into um, into Macau, and I'm pretty sure they don't have DD there. I mean, and they endless it's a very small en town. endless complaints about taxis in Macau. <laughs> I mean, uh, 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 let's go to uh, uh, Jose yeah. Carlos Mateus on, on that. Yeah, I oh, mean, yes. <laughs> oh yes, you know that that is the talk of the town. You know, it's 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 a problem. You know, it's one of those examples where you can fortunately all habits die hard. You know, we've had this problem for a number of years before COVID, um, and then you know we failed to address it. Uh, you know, and to get ready for uh, what would be expectable as a as as a mass return of tourists. It is true that you know the tourism revival has exceeded expectations, as I was saying, but. But, you know, the the fact of the matter is that we don't have enough taxes. We need to in substantially increase taxi licenses. The government is finally looking into it. They're going to increase by 300, but that is simply not enough. And we need uh, something like Uber or DD. We really need to upgrade this because this creates a bottleneck situation. And the experience of uh, queuing up for a cab when you arrive in Macau is something that is not the best welcoming card, right, for visitors. Still, visitors keep on coming, well, that, which, that's, sorry which, to which interrupt. is good. But that's, 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 that's my point, is that um, I think we can broadly agree the, the, Macau, the taxi situation in Macau is, uh, is far worse than Hong Kong, but yet the visitors are still flooding into Macau. So how much difference does it really make in the end? Uh, yeah, that's a good. That's, that's a good question. We we keep on raising these issues. I mean, <laughs> but it doesn't I stop people coming, does it? These, yeah, but it, yeah. So may, maybe yeah. That's a very very valid question. Despite that, people keep on coming. It's but part of I the guess charm. Should, I would just say it's part yes, of, part yes, of the charm. Yes. Uh, but, but, yeah, you, you could you could say that, you know, <laughs> that would be, I had never thought about that. But you see, we should not be complacent. I, You know, that is, we should not take things for granted. Yes, Macau is a, an immense magnet. Yes, definitely. But we, we, we have to address this alongside transportation infrastructure issues. Because you see, in the long term, uh, we cannot risk losing competitiveness. Because we have reaped the benefits, you know, of the mainland tourism. Um, uh, you know, not having also, of course, they, they, they wanted to come back to the car, but they didn't have many other options because 
tra- uh, you know of outbound traveling was not is not yet fully uh, you know resumed uh, for mainland Chinese uh, tourists and visitors now in the second half of the year is taking place. So I think we have to observe that and we have to measure that and keep on innovating and addressing the issue of transportation infrastructure, uh, human resources, and and all of that. I think this this is this it's important not to be complacent. Is important not to rest on our laurels. How about Prof- Professor McCartney? How about this uh, conundrum we're talking about that you can have um, pro- problems that pretty much everyone agrees are problems, like the, the taxi situation in Macau, and the, it doesn't stop visitors coming. So, do do these kind of things matter so much? And in the end, Professor McCartney, I think the I think they do. I, I totally agree with Jose in 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 regards to you know issues of transportation accessibility are always you know ranked high in people's journey experience no matter where they're going whether hong kong macau or any tourism city so i think it's something we need to address and stay you know we always look to be competitively you know we don't want to lose our you know sure i think but the whole thing uh, if people are here for two days or maybe they, they, they will make an assessment of the whole tourism thing so they will have a negative maybe they may have a negative impact on terms of how they got on it, couldn't get a taxi and so forth. But the rest of their, the, the rest of the tourism, whether it be what they ate or where they stayed or they went to an event or a concert or a show, and then when they left, they had an overall positive experience. Right. But in saying that, we should be addressing some of our weaknesses too, which is we have obviously we, we those problems I, mentioned. I mean, that photograph of people queuing outside the cruise terminal in Hong Kong for a taxi, these are the exactly deep pocket people you want to be coming, and they were waiting a long time for a taxi on the first. That picture went round the world. But that was fixed uh, fairly quickly, wasn't it? Of course it, it was, because <coughs> of that photograph yes. in, the, in the newspaper. But we, we shouldn't just be responding to photos. On a, we should be proactive. Why, why have I not heard anything about these visa restrictions for uh, people from Shenzhen coming to Hong Kong? That, no one's raised it. Uh, in LegCo, no one is yeah. talking about it in the media. How, how come? Well, Whitman Hung, isn't this something that uh, NPC delegates and so on should be raising? I mean, it can't, it can't be resolved. Or- I don't know. I retired from that. But <laughs> 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 but I think, yeah, we should. We should. Uh, and to, to make the point of the taxi, it's not just about tourists. See, I, one of the reasons I stopped going to Lan Kwai Fong, besides my age, is that I couldn't get a taxi on my way home. I have to queue. And, and they, and and I, they I try thought, and charge you more. Ex- well, they won't charge me because they, they know I, I'm a local. But still, you know, you see all these taxis with this uh, stop uh, yep. taking knock for hire. Mm-hmm. It just makes you upset. Then I go down to Landmark and queue for, like, for th- 25 minutes for a taxi, for a 10-minute ride. That's why I say, okay, well, you know, I don't mind going to Central during the day, but night, sorry. You see, as, uh, as Hong Kong residents, we will complain about the problems with taxi services, but um, if Vista's coming from overseas, I mean, their first impression is how, even despite how much prices have gone up, how incredibly cheap and plentiful taxis are in Hong Kong. I mean, really? complaints so we're from spoiled. visitors are <laughs> by, by, by international standards might were more experienced. I, I, Whitman's point, I'm also, I've never been a Lang Kwai Fong patron. Uh, it sounds surprising. It mm-hmm. just hasn't appealed to me. My son, on the other hand, or one of my sons, uh, goes there quite frequently. And he said, even though he's local and he's speaking Cantonese to the drivers, they're trying to charge him three times the fare to bring him home. And that's, that's ridiculous. It is. It is. And uh, there doesn't seem to be any deterrent. Uh, I know there have been a few police operations recently, but 
Yeah, what, I what think competition, think? competition is the thing. You know, introduce competition. We, uh, it, the complacency, one, the correct complacency is not by new laws. It's about competition. It will keep people, including us, on our toe. Yeah. So looking forward, uh, Whitman Hong, what's the future for Hong Kong's tourism industry? Well, we need to, well, rejuvenate, I'm not sure it's the right word, but, you know, at least we need to change. Okay, we need to make a difference. We need to make the experience worth. Um, we, we do have some good things. I mean, we have the new museums, right? Two museums. I mean, it's, well, how about the suggestion from our listener that uh, Paris exactly. Museum should be open till 10 exactly, o'clock at night? Exactly, exactly. And maybe we, you should lower the price or we, may, we can also do some special functions, you know. Um, they do, they're doing it, but we can do it more frequently so people will expect something different when they come. It's not just the same museum, but there's a new function, there's a new exhibition. And we should also try to combine them with some other things. Okay, if you are doing the night market or the night shows. A package. A package, exactly. Like your wine with the stick. That's right. And the, the point of that meal, apart from the fact that it was a bargain price, um, the mood was so good that you order more. You order, okay, the, there was a free exactly. glass of wine. I'll have another glass uh, oh. and so on. In Macau, of course, they basically built a whole new district, didn't they? Kotai, I mean, they reclaimed yeah. it. Should we be doing that in Hong Kong? Or can we, we don't have uh, the we, same we, space, we, do we, right? If, so. Even if we do, we die before we finish building it. I mean, we're just <laughs> so slow in Hong Kong. Um, you know, we, we, there's, some, there's some shopping malls. There's a new one just opened up in Taiwan, right? Why? But, yes. Yeah, and then, um, but then if you look at the World Trade Center, it took them how many years to, re, you know, renovate that? And then, you know... Quite frankly, um, you know, it, here people come here if they're you know, business, everything is fine, smooth, efficient, and everything. But if you really look for a different experience, uh, Hong Kong is the kind of place you want to go there maybe, you know, once a year maybe. And like Macau, it's like you can, I can easily go there for a weekend on a monthly basis. So it's very different. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I think we're going to have to draw this topic to a close there. Very interesting discussion about. Um, tourism in the Greater Bay Area and also what, whether Hong Kong is being left behind in some respects. Um, thank you very much to our guests, uh, Professor Whitman Hung, who's thank Director you. of the Greater Bay Area Research Centre of the China Silk Road I Valley Research Institute. Also join us on the phone, Jose Carlos Matias, Director of Macau Business, Macau News Agency and CEO of publisher Project Asia Corp. And Professor Glenn McCartney, who's from the uh, University of Macau. Uh, stay with us. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay, tuned Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back to Backchat. In the closing segment of uh, this morning's programme, we're going to be looking at that uh, terrible accident in uh, Kennedy Town where a dog was strangled after running out of the lift doors just as the uh, lift doors were closing. Not the first time that something like this has happened in recent months. There was another incident a few months ago where the dog actually uh, managed to break free and, and survived, but in this case it didn't. Um, 
Our guest to uh, discuss this instant, we have uh, Dr. Fiona Woodhouse, uh, Deputy Director of, uh, for Welfare at the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And from the sort of uh, mechanical side, Andy Chung, who's Vice President and a member of the um, Lift and Escalators Contractors, or sorry, former Vice President and the current member of the Lift and Escalators Contractors Association, a registered life and escalator engineer. Uh, good morning uh, to our guests. Um, before, we, before we go to you, maybe I'll just bring in a uh, Facebook post, uh, my thanks to um, uh, Noreen, uh, a former Backchat producer who will be up next in brunch with Noreen, draw my attention to a Facebook post by the owner of the dog involved. Uh, the owner of the dog involved are wanting to clarify that uh, the person who was walking did everything they could to try and save the dog. She made sure all the dogs entered the lift before pressing the close button. As the door was closing, the dog just ran out. We don't know why. Uh, the walker tried to press all the buttons and, but uh, couldn't do anything. And as we urge you, please, to check your lifts and if they have working sensors. This lift did not have a sensor and didn't recognise register that there was something in between the doors. Uh, so um, uh, Andy Chung, maybe let's go to you first on the sort of mechanical side. Should, should, a, should a lift be able to automatically sense when something like that happens and, and stop before an accident happens? Uh, yes, uh, good morning. Uh, this is Andy. Yeah, um, talking about the uh, safety device for the door, yes. All the lifts shall be installed with the door protective device, uh, or you can say that it's a sensor. But however, if, uh, uh, if, um, it, it will not be easy to detect if the lift is too small or thin, especially during the last 5 cm of the door close. So, I've, I've noticed I'm becoming a bit more cautious in old age. If uh -huh. I'm if I want to hold the door open of a uh, of a lift that's closing, mm -hmm. um, I don't put my hand in. I put in a hard object of of some size. Uh, it should be a bit more sensitive than that, shouldn't it? Well, I think, Mr. First of all, Mr. Chung, I'm sure, yeah, Andy, you would tell us ne never to do that, right? I mean, we all a lot of people do that, right? It's it's very dangerous to put a anything in to try and stop a lift yeah. door from closing, right? Of course. My briefcase is big you enough. You need to push the button and yeah. we open. Yes, or wait for the the next lift, right? But um, mm -hmm. uh, but it, so it, but in these sort of tragic situations, um, you're saying the the problem there is even if they have a sensor, the sensor for a dog leash or something like that, uh, it might be too 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 small. It, too the sensor small, wouldn't pick yeah. it up. Does the sensor mm -hmm. run from top to bottom then, or is it only only at partly at uh, horizontal height or something like that? Well, uh, it really depends on the uh, design in the very old lip. Uh, only certain parts will have uh, that kind of a, a sensor. But for the, low, uh, uh, the new lips, uh, normally it will be all part, actually. Right, from top to bottom. Okay, well, let's also bring in our other guest, uh, Fiona, Dr. Fiona Woodhouse. Uh, good morning, uh, Dr. Woodhouse. Morning. Welcome back to Backchat. I mean, as you, you heard me reading this Facebook post, I mean, the owner of the dog says really that, uh, I think it was the helper, tried um, everything she could to, 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 to save the dog. I mean, is there anything more that could have been done? Um, I think it's, it's difficult because obviously accidents happen. Um, if you were aware that something like that was going to happen, you would prevent it. So I, you know, feel really sorry for the people involved, the people who witnessed 
that the, you know to feel responsible for an accident happen happening like that is you know not not a good thing obviously um but there are things that you can do to try and minimize it i think andy's talked about um sort of lift mechanisms but being aware what lift mechanisms you do have um some lift mechanisms may have stop buttons inside so if there's an emergency like that i presume if you hit a stop button it will immediately stop whereas if you've just got the alarm button i presume that just alerts somebody there's an issue um training your dog being alert all the time but again accidents can happen because dogs are unpredictable you don't know what might trigger a reaction like that so try training um choose your type of leash um try not to have it wrapped around your wrist so if an accident does happen you may be able to quickly release it that if you realize you won't be able to get the dog back in etc um maybe not having so many dogs but again you can walk a lot of a few dogs all the time and not have an accident so there are things that you can try to do but again you've got to think what if this does happen what am i going to do you raised several important points there i mean let, let me pick up on the last one maybe not walk so many dogs is there i mean is there a safe number for walking a number of dogs? Um, I think, you know, from our point of view, we recommend that normally we have one person per dog. But obviously, in practical terms, when people have more than one, one dog per family, it may not be possible to do that. But again, look at how you are leashing them, how you're controlling them. Um, you know, some people are seen with uh, harnesses around their waist with several dogs attached to that. Obviously, if an accident happens, how are you going to quickly release that or separate the dogs? Sometimes you can have leashes that harness two dogs together. Um, is so that again, good, is that not, good, or, good or bad? Um, I think it can be bad when you have accidents that can happen because, again, of course, you can then get more involved personally or the other dog can also get pulled in as well. So, you know, don't have the leash around your wrist. Um, hold the leash in your hand. If you want to shorten the leash, fold it. Don't wrap it around your hand. Um, all those things you can do. And again, training your dog to have good leash manners to stay with you. That mm -hmm. still doesn't prevent accidents from right. happening so but ideally one person per dog ideally uh the loose ha, ha, the leash held relatively loosely so that it in an emergency you could let go of it very quickly yeah and also consider harnesses instead of uh collars traditional collars as well what's the difference sorry um obviously with the collar it's around the the neck so if there is an accident it's more likely to be focused in a, a small area um and the harness sometimes it's actually easier to control the dog because they're actually closer to you you're holding onto the body not the the head etc aren't there i mean how did this other dog survive a few months earlier um, that was because the um a person outside the lift i believe the security guard noticed the accident and managed to hit an emergency stop button but andy probably knows more about that than i do um, again the other thing you need to be careful is there are different types of leashes so there are extendable leashes and obviously you know don't have a dog near any anything that could cause an injury if it's on the extendable leash so those aren't really suitable for walking on the streets or going to lift lobbies, etc., because you've got a, an increased leash length there. Well, yeah, let's, let's go back to um, Andy Chung. Or, um, yeah. How about the, this issue of emergency stops and so on? Yes. Uh, uh, that kind of uh, uh, like the door we open uh, uh, button that can uh, uh, stop the car, of course, and also emergency uh, stop button as well. Um, and earlier on, you were saying one of the problems with the um, uh, the safety of devices is that uh, the old lifts they tend to have the, the sensor may be much much smaller than the new lifts. Um, when we talk about a, and we've got a lot of old lifts in Hong Kong. When, when we talk about a safe age for for or, or, um, for for lifts, what are you talking generally about? Five, ten years, twenty years? 
uh, okay, uh, that's uh, for example, like uh, 20 or 30 years ago. But also, those kind of have been, um, you know, have been uh, um, modified and upgraded. Uh, and also, uh, their safety device also up to the standard as well. So, so I do believe that can prevent uh, for for such case if people are pay more special attention to their dogs. Right, and and lifts are inspected what annually? Uh, yes, of course. Right, annually. And uh, as you mentioned, so it, it's it's not just age; it's a question of whether they're inspected properly and whether they've been upgraded. So that um, no, the sensitivity. No, no. Um, actually, uh. All the sensor uh, should work properly uh, during the inspection and everything. And from the case, uh, I do think uh, uh, because it was still uh, under investigation, but I think uh, the lip should uh, working properly uh, since from 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 uh, the news. So actually, that is not related to any sensor or. The, the malfunction of the lift, actually, I believe. The lift is working properly, but the sensor may be a old or small sensor, right? I mean... Mm, no, not, not exactly. So you're saying even if it's a new sensor, then really there's nothing... It, probably uh, this kind of accident, there's nothing it could do? Mm, yes, because, you know, um, uh, the door with the sensor, that will uh, uh, neutralize at the last part of the lift travel because it will enable the lift door to close completely. Okay, well, let's go back to uh, Fiona Woodhouse and particularly on this recommendation of uh, one dog per person. I mean, we we are inevitably in Hong Kong, the sort of society, you, you, you see a large number of dogs being walked by domestic helpers and domestic helpers can vary, but a lot of them physically are really rather small. So a small person walking multiple dogs, uh, that's not, there's no evidence at all that that's what happened here, but um, isn't that, that, that sort of a recipe for trouble, Dr Woodhouse? Um, I think the, the issue is that the more dogs you have, if there is an unexpected situation the less chance you have to to deal with it in a in an adequate way so for instance if you come across a dog that is reactive and decides to pick on one of your dogs and you're carrying three then it's difficult to do for you to separate them so there are lots of things that can happen but um, I think, you know, uh, ensuring that you've got the rough, proper equipment, that if you are walking more than one dog, and even if you are walking a dog, that you're paying attention and that your dogs are properly trained for leash manner, that they're walking with you, they're not pulling on the leash, etc. So I think owners will know to some extent the characters of their dogs and how they behave and they will take precautions um, and again um, a lot of the domestic helpers that walk the dogs are absolutely excellent at walking dogs and we also do have professional dog walkers but you know these accidents do happen dogs are unpredictable we don't know what they're going to react to we don't know why this dog suddenly decided to exit the lift um, you know maybe somebody walks in that they see that they like and they decided want to go and say hello or a strange dog comes in so we've got those different things that you cannot prevent but you can take as many precautions as possible to avoid them or think about how you would deal with them should they occur and of course the traumatic effect both on the helper in this case and the owner apparently from the media reports they were were distraught yeah absolutely i mean i can't i can't imagine this and and the you know feeling responsible even though it's an accident um, reflecting in hindsight and also the impact on, on the dogs of losing losing one of their social companions as well so they do miss them
Okay, we'll have to draw it to a close there. That was uh, Dr. Fiona Woodhouse uh, from the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. I'll thank, thank you also to uh, Andy Cheung, uh, Escalator Engineer, for your advice on that harassment. Thank you uh, to my uh, co-host, um, yes, <laughs> Mike Rouse. Pinch, pinch uh, back chat will be uh, back tomorrow with uh, Janice. Up next is uh, Brunch from Noreen.